for the word of the Lord. We have uh, commenced the last couple of weeks a series that will take us through to Advent, which is the first Sunday in December, which is broadly under the title Discerning the Way Ahead. We recognise that we are at a stage in our life at St Matthew's where future pathways, future directions um, is something that we can't expect business as normal to continue. And without rushing ahead with all sort of strategic plans and other things, we want to uh, gather, to pray and to reflect on um, some of the doorways that God may be holding open for us, some opportunities that aren't just um, sort of planning for the next year, but some a bigger picture planning, some five to ten year types of plan. I'll take some time to bed down as to where it uh, takes us. And we recognise that in some of those doorways that may be open, they may not be open forever. Sometimes God provides windows of opportunity and us gives us the choice as his people as to whether to choose them or not. So prayer, first and foremost, is a key part of our process. And on the first Saturday, sorry, the last Saturday in November, we will uh, I'm inviting a, a gathering for our church to be prayerful, but also to be discerning what some of those possibilities, what some of those uh, open doors or gates might look like and where it might take us. And I'm not anticipating that we will do have a major vision all sort of sorted out and uh, clarified, but what the next steps might be towards some of those um, innovative areas of um, mission and ministry. So let me pray first, and then I'll explain how our sermon series is contributing towards that. Loving God, as we do uh, recognise the world around us is constantly changing, and the impact of that on the life of all churches, ourselves included, is significant. While we give thanks for your faithfulness and for those who have gone before us, we pray that you would guide us to know where those opportunities, those um, pathways may lead to a new season of ministry, some new platforms for ministry. Pray that we would be prayerful and open of our willingness to say before you, Lord, here we are. Please, in your grace, use us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we explored that all mission starts with the God of mission. That different organisations, different groups can come up with all sorts of mission plans and churches can come up with mission plans. But unless they are grounded in the mission of God, the phrase I used last week was missio dei, the God has a, is a sending God, a God of mission. We need to start from that point and stay with that in all our considerations. God is a missional God through and through. It's in God's very being that God is sending himself into this world. 
sending the Son, sending the Spirit, God is sending into this world. And the, uh, the, one of the quotes that I used, um, and there's many quotes around there, but this is by David de Bosch, who I introduced last week, a South African missiologist, has uh, this wonderful quote. God is a fountain of sending love. This is the deepest source of mission. It is impossible to penetrate deeper still. There is mission because God loves people. In fact, you could broaden it out because God loves the world. That uh, starting point needs to be constantly in view that any mission that we might contemplate needs to be drawn into that deeper current of mission of how God is at work in the world. Sometimes it's the small words we overlook that make a world of difference, a big significance of little words. Let me give you an example. One of the uh, very significant verses that we know in the biblical narrative comes right in the first chapter, Genesis chapter 1, the first creation narrative, as God moves closer towards the goal, the purpose of creation. He breaks the pattern and adds some more information about the creation of humankind. So Genesis 1.26 is one of those profound statements. And God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over birds of the heaven and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every moving thing that moves upon the earth. Now, previously I've unpacked a little bit around the significance of the phrases to be in the image of God and to be in the likeness of God. To be in the image of God is to be tasked with God's work. It is actually a calling to be about God's work in this creation. And our capacity to do that is to be in the likeness of God. We convey qualities of God's character, God's um, enablement, so that we can go about our responsibility to be bringing the world into fruitfulness, to be restoring and bringing a harmony, um, all that is good, out of creation. But you notice two words there we can easily overlook. Two short words, but they are profound words. Us and our. Let us make humankind in our image. This one God of creation, Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning God, singular, created the heavens and the earth, has slipped in a plural pronoun, we. And what is cryptic at this stage in our story, saying what is this telling us about God, becomes clearer as the biblical narrative continues. This one God that we know is uh, a community of one. The one God who exists in perfect community. A couple of months ago we had Trinity Sunday where we focused on that truth, understanding the one God who is revealed, who is in action, who is in mission as Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Each distinctive, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, but they coexist in one being, 
of God. We can't find the right words to describe these three entities, these three energies that comprise the one God. But the profound truth is there. The one God exists in diversity. God in community. And that's the foundation of what is distinctive about our Christian faith. No other faithful religion affirms a understanding of God in this way. That principle of the one God in the diversity of the three persons existing as one entity that is drawn together is a profound truth that shapes the mission of God. Let me unpack it a little bit further. In Ephesians chapter 1, again, I mentioned this last year in one of the sermons we had last year, God, God's mission plan is revealed. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul has one long sentence from verse 3 to verse 14 of Ephesians 1. Our English Bibles actually breaks it up. And in the middle of this long sentence where Paul has been speaking about what God is about, God's purpose, he gets to this stage in that sentence and he says, And with all wisdom and understanding, God made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Notice the phrase, God made known to us the mystery. It's a mystery no more because God has revealed it through the person of Jesus. He continues that this mystery now revealed, this mission plan, is to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, when the time is right. It's in God's hands. And it is in a process of moving closer and closer to that fulfillment. And so we come... What is this mystery that is now revealed? It is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. One sentence that gets to the heart of God's mission plan. To bring unity. Now, in heaven and on earth echoes our Lord's prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven is that realm where God lives, God abides, where God's will is done, where all is good and right as God has intended. And his desires that that world will so reshape the existence on earth, that the whole culture and environment, the whole social world, all the relationships will be characterized by that truth. And that is God's purpose in Christ, to bring unity of all things. So God's ultimate mission plan has been declared as a plan for the fullness of time to bring all things in heaven and on earth together in Christ. Now there's three very profound truths to be seen in that. This bringing together of all things is an expression of unity and diversity. That all things are not all exactly the same item, 
It's not like just one Lego block and all one colour, all just put together. It's all the multifaceted diversity that we see reflected in creation. In that diversity, it is brought together into some form of unity. Now, it's an easy thing to say, but one of the great challenges that we have, but we also see it in a wider world, is that God isn't seeking to turn us all into clones of a monochrome model. The diversity is there. It's just it can be brought together into a harmony, into a sense of unity, of being at peace, of coexisting, of informing and enriching one another in a unified way. Paul elsewhere talks about the imagery of the body and the many parts. And it is a unity that can only be found in Christ. Again, it's one of those statements that I know no one's going to argue and push back against, not necessarily in that that stark a form. But I find that my hope is centred is totally on my hope in Christ. My conviction is that with all the diversity across the nations and across cultures and across different languages and all the richness that can come with that potentially, I do not know of another name, another person, another being capable of bringing together that diversity into a sense of being at peace with one another of actually recognising that there's something bigger that draws us together than any each and one of us. There is no culture that says we are the culture. It's not saying to become unified will be much easier if you all become like me. No, God says there is diversity and that's actually fine. It doesn't really matter which rugby union team or AFL team or other team that you follow. There's room in God's kingdom for all. But more profoundly, there is no one nation, one culture that says we are the default culture. If you want to become us, you've got to become like us. God says the unity of God's mission, God's kingdom, is bigger than that, but it is Christ who bridges and draws all together into that unity. And that unity is an expression of heaven on earth. Now, let's unpack it a little bit more. Because when we we hear that and we would if you're like me saying it sounds wonderful. If only. But I almost feel like saying when I hear those passages, God, if you've been paying attention to the news because that sure does not look like the world in which we inhabit. The world in which we inhabit is characterised all too much by suspicion and doubt and fear and holding people at a distance and keeping people out and saying, that's us, not them. All those different divisions. Even that passage in Ephesians 2 that we um, will come to in a minute talks about a big war, hostility that separates the Jews from others. Sadly, we can even picture that war in the present time. Where is God's mission plan in the midst of the reality of the world as we find it? 
Well, the first thing to note is that we aren't the first generation to be characterised by those qualities. Sadly, it's seen throughout history. And it was certainly true in the world of Jesus, the world of the first century. In fact, as the church began to develop and grow, they found themselves embroiled in strong debates about just this issue between Jews and Gentiles, between the people who could claim Abraham and everyone else. And the debates were really thrown into a, uh, a spin when God's Spirit seemed to be bringing Gentiles into faith through Jesus. And they wanted to, become, to join the Christian movement, the Jesus movement. And for the Jewish Christians, they didn't know what to make of this. So they had a conference, a council in Jerusalem. It's described in Acts chapter 15, where they tried to work through. So we see Gentiles coming to faith, to belief. Can't argue with that because it seems to be the Spirit who's doing it, so that must be okay. Do they need to become Jews to become believers in God? And some said yes, and others said no. And in this council, they worked through what does God require of people to become part of his new covenant people? And the answer was clear. Faith in Jesus and nothing else. That is all that was required. A faith, a loyalty, a trust, a commitment in Jesus, regardless of what nations or culture or language they come from. But the, uh, the issue was so tense that even in... Uh, um, episode in Antioch, um, Peter and Paul clashed dramatically over the question. Peter was in Antioch, he'd been there for a while, and Paul arrived and he was aghast at what he saw Peter doing. And he said, you're a hypocrite. You know that faith in Jesus is what is essential for our Christian movement. Yet you are saying that the Jewish Christians should be over there in one house church and the Gentile Christians should be over there in another house church and the Jewish Christians have to keep them at a distance to maintain their table fellowship. Paul uses the phrase, Peter, you're being a hypocrite. It's quite a dramatic moment and it was recorded and they worked it through in terms of we know that it is faith in Jesus alone that God is requiring. In fact, God's purpose is that the people of Israel be God's instrument in gathering people from all nations. That was God's intention right back from the time of Abraham. So this is reflected in a lot of our New Testament story. Now part of us in, in years gone by as we've sought to make sense of these New Testament passages and the disagreements between Jews and Gentiles and Paul speaking to us most of us are Gentiles. We're saying, well, it's not a, you know, thankfully it's not an issue today. Except we know that it is seriously an issue today. And the circumstances in the Middle East are a dramatic expression of precisely those questions. What can bring people together that is greater than culture and history and grievance and retaliation and a sense of identity. It is precisely those issues. So let's see how Paul addresses that in Ephesians 2. 
this background around the uh, divisions between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. God's purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, both Gentile and Jewish, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Remember that phrase because at the end of the sermon I'm going to show you a clip that is a beautiful, moving expression of exactly that, through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Paul continues, Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far away, the Gentiles, other nations, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by the one Spirit. Paul unpacks that then and says, so consequently, you Gentiles, you people who aren't Israelites, are no longer foreigners and strangers to be held at a distance and kept out, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. And he uses a number of other images and metaphors that follow. So where does it take us? It's picked up in the second reading we had in Revelation 15. The book of Revelation, last book of the Bible, is written into a conflicted, fearful world between those who are on side with the Roman authorities and those who are not. Those who wanted to worship one of the multitude of other um, people calling for their allegiance. And to that fearful group, a heavenly choir speaks. In Revelation 15, it says that this heavenly choir singing from heaven wants to give a message to the struggling believers on earth and this is what they say in the in their their uh, their message through song who will not fear you O lord and bring glory to your name for you alone are holy all nations will come and worship before you for your righteous acts have been revealed. It's picked up a number of times in Revelation and elsewhere in Scripture. God's intention is that people from every tribe and language and ethnicity, all nations, can be drawn together. So where does it take us? Our calling in the mission of God is to be about being representatives of God in that space, in that world. So I want to stay with that quote for a minute around Revelation and around about all nations. Just in terms of our um, shock and horror at the news that we hear it, there are two dynamics that um, should guide us. And Paul says it elsewhere in, um, in Romans 12. Let your Love be genuine. It needs to be the real thing. Let your love be genuine, but do not have anything to do with evil. Despise evil. And as we look at acts of terrorism, we are looking at acts of evil. We don't just brush it under the carpet. We recognise it for what it is, and we say that is to be called out for what it is. 
the hospital located in the centre of Gaza that had the explosion is an Anglican hospital. It's under the Diocese of Jerusalem. It's been there since 1882, a long history. And those who work within the hospital are working on behalf of the Christian church in the heart of Gaza. We need to pray for all involved as they sought to be a sanctuary, a safe place. Our cry of horror goes up over such an explosion. But we recognise that despite that, God's presence, God's work will prevail despite these moments. This morning in the uh, Lectio 365, as Fiona and I heard it, if you haven't known Lectio 365, it's a great app available every, every day, every morning and every night, just a brief Bible reading and reflection. This one came up and I was trying to think through how to finish the sermon Then I heard this and I thought, mm, that's it. So I'll quickly put it on the slide. Can I invite you to close your eyes? Listen to these words. It's Eugene Peterson writing in the message, um, a paraphrase, but it's a very good paraphrase about what mission looks like. Watch what God does and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behaviour from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him. And learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. That is the vision that we have before us to guide us in our prayers as to where to from here for St Matthews. Drawing those threads together, the mission of God that needs to be the front and centre of what our discernment is, it's not what do I like, what do I want, it's about how can we be faithful to this mission. It is to participate faithfully in the mission of God is to be a people and place of gathering. That's what the word church literally means. Ecclesia means gathering. The church has been a gathering point. Always has, always intended to be. With all that rich diversity of people's stories and lives and backgrounds and all that mix is to be gathered together into the household of God. Three key principles that can guide us in our thinking as we approach this time of discernment and uh, prayer for our meeting in November. Firstly, to be faithful to the mission of God is to be community building. To be not just uh, a passing way station, but to have people a place where people can be known by name. Back in um, 1998, when we celebrated the 150th anniversary of the church, where did those 25 years go? we sought to do a, a project that would make a contribution to our own neighbourhood, our part of Adelaide. It happened to, to uh, come together 
with the Centenary of Federation and there were some grants available for 2001 and we put in a submission for that which we were successful for. Hence the mobile maintenance ministry and the shed actually all came out of that. What we recognised in our part of Adelaide at that time, and I suspect it is no different now, is that one of the um, very real areas of need in our, our part of Adelaide is loneliness. Back then we recognised that some people had some significantly large homes, often with family who have now interstate, overseas, elsewhere. We have neighbourhoods and people who experience just a sense that no one really knows them. I don't know my neighbours. I don't feel as though people know me and my story or have time for me. Which leads us to the second principle in the mission of God is in that process of being community building, it is to be culture making. Culture making not just in a sense of creativity and all that goes with that, but creating a culture within the community of the church of encouragement, of a recognition of others, a time to, to sit alongside people and to hear people's stories, to get to know them by name and to have that familiarity where people know when they come together that they have a place. That's all part of the culture making, the same as we make for any home, we shape a culture within our home. That is our challenge, that's our mission before God. However, there are many different community groups and organisations and others who seek to be about community building and culture making. What is absolutely central, if this is to be a mission of God, is that the process needs to be in and through making disciples. Ourselves and as a community. It needs to go deep into what shapes our heart, our minds, our passions, our ambitions, our hopes, our dreams need to be reshaped and calibrated around Jesus and his purposes. Where we do that, gathering community, create a culture that gives expression to it, then we begin to discern how we can be faithful to the mission of God that we are invited to join into. I'm going to finish going back to um, the reality of what might that look like in the reality of the world as we experience it. I'm going to show a clip. It's a song um, from a group um, called One in Israel. They've been doing this now for a couple of years. They are a gathering of Jews and Arabs and people from other nations who worship together and make a statement through that worship that the name of Jesus is bigger than things that would otherwise separate them. And uh, it's a singing of a song. The song is familiar. In Christ alone, we sing it ourselves. However, the difference in this setting is actually based in the, uh, uh, where the tombs are in Jerusalem. And the words are in English, in Hebrew, and in Arabic. And they model together how they come together to express their worship and their praise in Jesus. These same people are in Jerusalem at the present time and in that area. Some are in Gaza, others are elsewhere. 
as we look at this song, think about the witness of what Jesus is doing, but let us pray for Christ's people in that space to have courage and to stand for God's presence.